Well, good morning again. It's so good to uh, see you guys and be with you today. Uh, you know, we've, uh, we've been on this uh, journey through Ruth the last uh, number of weeks, right? And uh, Ruth finding God in the ordinary. Uh, and so, you know, ultimately what we're doing today is it's kind of a, a closing out of this series. And we're going to focus on a few uh, bigger, kind of bigger picture uh, elements of the story of Ruth. And, uh, and so I know we've been through the whole thing, but, um, but we're going to just touch base on a few things throughout the book and, uh, and recap some of these key elements. And uh, hopefully we'll see uh, the bigger picture of it all, right? Isn't it good to have a bigger perspective, a larger perspective uh, than just one little thing? Amen? Are you with me? Okay. Don't be thinking about Patrick Mahomes or anybody else. <laughs> to be honest with you, when San Francisco and Kansas City uh, were the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, I'm just gonna tell you the way it is. I threw up in my mouth a little bit, okay? <laughs> so if I'm offending you today, I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm wearing my shoes today for my team uh, who's, anyway, I won't go there, so. It's good to, uh, can I be that honest with you today, right? We're family, right? So. We're family. Sometimes family throws up in their mouth a little bit, right? Oh my gosh, man, this is just going nowhere. So we have to see the bigger picture and bigger perspective, amen? For instance, and now I get to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Who is, uh, it's since it's Super Bowl Sunday. Does anybody know what NFL team has won the most Super Bowls over the last 30 years? New England. New England is correct. Tom Brady, right? New England has won the most Super Bowls over the last 30 years. Now, I had to go back 30 years in order to get the number that I'm, that I'm gonna land on here, okay? <laughs> but do you know who is second on that list? The Broncos. They've won three over the, last, over the last 30 years. I'm just telling you, they're better than most, okay? So, so if I merely looked at the last seven seasons, I would see losing records, okay? And it would get me depressed a little bit. But if I look at the bigger picture... I can see clearly that they're better than most teams. Big picture, big perspective, okay? Some of you know that as sports fans, that's what you have to have, right? If you don't, like, it's over for you. So that's what we have to do. So in the story of Ruth, let's get back to what matters. In the story of Ruth, we can either look at one portion of it and maybe see a great difficulty, and we can if we read the story, right? If we read through the book of Ruth, we found plenty of difficulties, didn't we? Uh, but we can either look at that one piece or we can look at the bigger picture uh, and see the big story or the greater story uh, of God's incredible plan, amen? And so he, in his sovereignty and his authority over all things, right? He has rulership over all things in his sovereignty. Uh, and so in that sovereignty, his providence is that he 
works out his supernatural plan in natural ways, right? We see it happen in natural ways. And so while he's sovereign over all things, sometimes things that happen don't appear great to us, right? And yet we know that in his providence, he will work it all through. And so we all have free will, and yet God doesn't sit idly by and watch what's happening, uh, hoping that everything's gonna turn out right. That's not God, that's not our God. Uh, he doesn't wonder what will happen. Like, I wonder what's gonna happen in this scenario, right? Uh, but rather, man's free will is taken into account by the eternal God who knows the beginning from the end, and he uses all things to work out his plan, even when men and women kick against him. Job asked this in Job 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 4, he asked this, who has hardened himself against him, God, and prospered? Do you know what the answer is? Not a one. Nobody has. The answer is none. So here we enter in this, the nation of Israel, as we've covered uh, before, is in this times where the judges uh, were overseeing, were ruling uh, at times in the history of Israel, right? So we're in the times of the judges, and in this time, as we see in the final verse of the book of Judges, is that in this time, everybody did what was right in his own eyes, right? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that there's error in that way of living, amen? Right? There has to be objective truth to lead to right actions as opposed to subjective uh, so-called truths that lead to erroneous living, right? So there has to be objective truth. Everybody doing what was right in their own eyes, well, that's subjective, amen? So if everyone is right, then no one is right, right? I mean, if you really strip it back to its you know, most core ideal, it means that if everybody's right, well, then nobody's actually right because we all think different things and feel different things and have different uh, values that we work from, right? So what that boils down to ultimately is a moral relativism where there is no objective truth. So whatever feels right is, implauded, is applauded and encouraged and so truth becomes relative. And that's why we hear things like, just follow your heart, right? Follow your heart, they say. Have you ever heard that? Anybody in here ever heard that? Just follow your heart on this. And to that, I would say only if you want to end up in jail, okay? <laughs> you follow your heart if you want to, but I'm telling you right now, ultimately, it ain't going to lead you anywhere good, okay? Uh, and so, uh, you know, the thinking didn't turn out well in the days of the judges, uh, because Israel was kicking against God and they would find themselves oppressed and they would find themselves, uh, you know, at odds with all the nations around them. And then God, in his grace, would have mercy on them and he would raise up a judge in order to release them from their oppression and from this, you know, release them from whatever they got themselves into. And then, you know what they would do? They would do it again. And God, in his grace and his mercy, would raise up another judge to release them from the oppression that they got themselves into or the hole that they dug themselves into, and it happened over and over and over throughout Judges. And so, 
Uh, it didn't work out well in their times, and it doesn't work out in our day either, okay? Guess what? We're trying that. Don't work out today either, all right? So as everyone was doing right in their own eyes, what we know from the stories, a famine came upon the land, and Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and Kilion left for Moab, which was not a great idea. Why? Because it was not God's best for their family. It was not God's plan for their family, but their family said, wow, we're facing this famine. We better go. We got to get out of here, right? Our reasoning says, it's no good here. Let's go to Moab, which we know was uh, a decision uh, made by sight rather than faith and trust, right? They were walking by sight and reason rather than faith and trust. Uh, and that's a temptation for us today too, right? In the past few weeks, we've talked about that a little bit. It's a temptation for us that uh, even at times when you know, things look good elsewhere, we have a, a, a temptation to go uh, to Moab, right, to find something uh, that we want to pursue, and yet uh, we, when we do that, we're getting away from God's best for us, right? Faith is always greater than sight. When we're living for God, faith is always greater than sight, Many of us have probably faced decisions in life where we had to make that were like, reason tells me this, but God is leading in a different direction. Anybody ever had that happen to them where it's like, I don't know what this is all about, but I gotta go this way, uh, even though it looks like it might be a harder road. I think we all have, right? If you've walked with God very long, you've probably experienced that. Now, the Moabites uh, were descendants from an incestuous relationship uh, with Lot and his daughter. Uh, the Bible talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And this is ugly, but that's the reality of it. Uh, and they were enemies of the Israelites, uh, and they even oppressed them during the times of the judges. And you can read about that in Judges chapter three, uh, about that oppression. They worshiped the god Chemosh, uh, which was sadly introduced to the Israelites uh, later on through one of King Solomon's wives who was a Moabite wife. And so this pagan worship was introduced to the Israelites as well through King Solomon's uh, wife, one of his 700 wives. <laughs> hey, some things in the Bible are descriptive, some are prescriptive. This one's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's not saying, we should have 700 wives. Okay. And so, you can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 11. And then those high places that were built by King Solomon for that uh, worship of Chemosh, was, the pagan worship, were ripped down later on. You know by what king? You know what king ripped them down? Josiah, that's right. That's right, King Josiah. And you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 23. Now, in Moab, Naomi experienced pain, loss, and heartbreak, right? And when we choose Moab as well over what God has for us, guess what we're gonna experience as well? Pain, loss, and heartbreak. Too often, that's exactly what's on the other side of that decision, okay? Now, after a decade of being away in Moab, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, come back to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means what again? The house of bread. Okay. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> so Bethlehem means the house of bread, which is very interesting. Who was born in Bethlehem? 
Jesus, and Jesus called himself the what of life? The bread of life, right? Another layer to the scriptures, which you can't reach the bottom of the layers of scripture. It's incredible, okay? So as the two return, Ruth speaks these words uh, to the women of the town. Remember, she came back and they're gossiping about her, like, what's going on with her? Well, they come back and she says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt with me bitterly. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Ruth 1, 20 and 21. What does Naomi mean? Kim? <laughs> pleasant. <laughs> Naomi means pleasant. Listen, when I'm here speaking, you guys, I'm gonna have questions for you, so you gotta, you gotta talk back, okay? Naomi means what? Pleasant. pleasant, thank you. And Mara means what? Bitter. bitter. <laughs> you guys got the bitter part, but you didn't get the pleasant part. What's up with that? Oh, man. Okay. When we go through great difficulty in life, truthfully, we can respond in one of three ways, okay? We can endure it, we can escape it, or we can enlist it. And we have to know these three things for the difficulties that we walk through in life. Because here's the deal. If we merely endure hardship, we will get through it. We might make it to the other side, right? But truthfully, if we only endure hardship, we will find bitterness on the other side of that. If we try to escape hardship in our lives, we will miss anything that God wants us to learn and to grow in it, you know, through it. Like he wants to grow us in it. So if we escape it, we don't learn those things. And in my experience with God, when I escape something, he brings it right back around again, right? And it's like, oh, great, this one again, huh? Now, if we will enlist hardship, if we'll enlist hardships in our life, we can fearlessly face those things and trust that God will use it to draw us closer to him and somehow work it out for our good because that's what God does, right? In, in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28, it says that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, right? So that's what God does, is he will use hardships for our good. Is it fun to walk through it? Nope. But can we enlist it in our lives uh, so that we can use it and see God grow us in it? Absolutely. Uh, James 1, 2 through 4, we are to count it all joy, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God bless you. <laughs> Let's be people who enlist our trials and hardships with joy from knowing that we're going, uh, that what we're going through, God is going to grow us through and he's gonna use it for good in some way, shape, or form. Now, the Scottish theologian Alexander White, uh, he would often tell his congregation that life is a series of new beginnings. Oh, man, thank God for new beginnings, amen? Somebody, anybody in here testify with me on that? 
Thank God for new beginnings. It is true that God will give us new beginnings, and he did that with Naomi and Ruth also. Naomi was bitter, right? She came back and said, don't call me pleasant anymore, call me bitter, right? She was bitter, but God was using this new beginning to make her better. She went from being bitter to being better. And he gave, them, uh, he gave them a future in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means what again? Hey, thank you. Good job. You walk away from here knowing something new today, if nothing else. Uh, and in chapter two, uh, we see in chapter two that Ruth begins to work in the field. She waits on the Lord and serves Naomi faithfully. Now, as people who have been following this story for uh, a few weeks now, what was it that drew uh, Ruth to Boaz? What was it? What was it about him that drew her to him? Anybody remember? Her kind, it was his kindness, right? He was kind to her. And she made mention of that, right? She notes that. You, your kindness and favor to me. Like, I'm not even your servant, and yet you're kind to me. And so his kindness was of utmost importance, Right? But what was Boaz like before he met Ruth? Do you know? He was ruthless. <laughs> Dad joke moment. It's what I'm best at. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, he was not ruthless, but there you go. What was it that Boaz heard about Ruth that was the main factor in drawing him to her? It was her kindness to Naomi, right? It was her kindness to Naomi. Now, she was probably beautiful, but she was, you know, because when he pulled up to the field, he's like, hubba, 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 who's that out there, you know? So I'm sure that was there too. But he also, uh, it was her kindness that she showed to her mother-in-law, right? Now, I could make a mother-in-law joke here, but I'm not gonna, okay? Because my mother-in-law is probably gonna watch this uh, back at some point. And let me just say, I got the greatest mother-in-law in the world, man. So I I'm blessed. So with that said, uh, uh, you know, anyway, I don't even know where I am here. So... Um, so she cared for her mother-in-law. She provided what they needed. Remember when Naomi was bitter and Ruth said, I'm gonna go work in the fields and Naomi said, go ahead, right? She didn't be like, yeah, that's a great idea. She's like, go, my daughter, you know, that was it. And so she was in this bad, bad place and yet still Ruth began to go to the fields, glean what was needed, glean what was necessary to provide. And that is what Boaz heard about her is, you're incredible. You care for your mother-in-law. You take care of her, you know, every need. Like, this is what drew him to her uh, more than anything else. So, thank God in the dark days uh, that everyone was doing right as they saw fit in their own eyes. Thank God that in these times, there was still a ray of light that we could see kindness from people. And there are still those who followed the Lord, not just what was right in their own sight. Amen? And I would say that's true today. 
Let us be encouraged as a church, understanding that it's not all dark and gloom. There are people in our world today who are rays of light in following Jesus and following God in, and in really just proclaiming that to the world. Amen? So it's not all dark and gloom. Let's not be gloomy people, okay? So it's in the fields here uh, of Boaz that Ruth gleaned, and he cared for her and provided even more than she set out for the first day. You know that? That's what the story says. Boaz was far more generous to her than what the Levitical law even required. And it says uh, in Ruth 2, 15b through 18, it says, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. She gleaned in the field until evening and she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley and she took it up and went into the city her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied at lunch earlier that day, okay? So uh, basically, he's like, listen, don't only leave the corners of the field for her, but what you, uh, the reapers, what they were able to glean in the sheaves, right? Uh, he said, pull some of that out too and drop it on the field and let her take those things. So he's saying, let her take from some of the best of the field, not just the corners, so Boaz went above and beyond. He was more generous than even the law required. Doesn't that sound a lot like God? <laughs> I mean, doesn't it? We don't deserve his goodness, none of us, and yet he loves us, and in his mercy, he, he moved first, right? He took the step and gave first, right? We find that from the most basic verse that we probably all learned in second grade or many of us who were in the church. You know, John 3, 16, we, you know, to break it down, it says, he loved, he gave, we believe, we receive. This is John 3, 16, if you break it down to its core, right? God loved, and because he loved, he gave. I didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to earn it. We don't deserve it, actually. And yet, here it is, God was moved and so he gave, and so that is, it, it, it's such a picture in this, right, of God's heart. It's the heart of the gospel, right, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and only through him we can have everlasting life with the Father, amen? And Boaz is a picture of Jesus. He's a shadow of what was to come. Uh, as the church father Augustine once stated, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Meaning the Old Testament has types and pictures of what is to come, and the New Testament is the fulfillment of that. So they both go together. We don't throw one out and only keep the other. We understand them both for what they are that one is a type and shadow of all that is going to come and is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Boaz was the redeemer of Ruth and her family as Jesus is the redeemer of all who understand and take Romans 10.9 to heart. You know what Romans 10.9 says? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
What a beautiful, beautiful verse. Faith in Jesus. And I like how my ESV study Bible puts it uh, for us, that it's not an unknowable leap in the dark, but rather biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, uh, eternally trustworthy, the God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation and who will never leave nor forsake his own. If you don't have an ESV study Bible, you need to get one, okay? I'm just telling you right now, like this is the type of stuff that we read and if you slow down and you, and you comprehend this, it's incredible that God's promises are proven true from generation to generation. That's why I read what I did earlier before, uh, you know, in worship time, in the host moment, talking about how, how amazing it is that we should be people who teach generation to generation to generation about God's goodness, about his plan, about the things that he's accomplished, and about his beauty and splendor, amen? So once Naomi places her focus on Ruth's future, what do we see in her? Well, we, be, we begin to see her change, right? She begins to have a hope. She goes from being bitter to her focus shifts to Ruth and to Ruth's goodness, and she begins to seek this place of rest. Or some of your Bibles, I think, use a different word, uh, security. Uh, play, you know, uh, it, it, when she says, should I not seek a secure place for you? Well, the word secure means a restful place, a place of rest. If you look that up and do a little digging, as you should as you read the Bible, do some study on it, look at some words, see what they mean, you're gonna find a deeper understanding of it all. What we find is Naomi wants Ruth to find a place of rest, finally, because she's a Moabite woman in Israel, and frankly, if she doesn't get that, she might be mistreated, right? And so she's like, her focus shifts over to Ruth, and she begins to look for her well-being. And all of a sudden, we see a different Naomi. And so, I think it's a great truth of life that when we put our focus on other people uh, and their well-being, we begin to heal from our own hurts, too. And we become healthier people uh, with more joy and more satisfaction in life. Maybe you've experienced that. You know, it's easy to look at our own problems and our own things that we're we're in the midst of, we, you know, we're in a tough time, you know, whatever it is, but when we begin to look for the good for somebody else and put our time and effort and focus on them, you know what changes, really? Us, our attitude, right? Our hearts begin to change. We're no longer uh, looking for the bitterness in our situation, but God makes us better through it, and he begins to heal us and make us new. Now, what was a story that was headed for disaster turned into a story that included the lineage of King David from whom that psalm that I read earlier this morning wrote uh, and ultimately of Jesus Christ himself. And so again, why do we get so upset when one part of our life isn't going how we think it ought to go? As the psalmist said in Psalm 42, anybody like Psalm 42? He said, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet 
praise him, my Savior and my God. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Right? That's what David was feeling inside, and he writes what he feels, right? He writes what he's going through in these times. And so he wasn't afraid to write it down, but you know what he wasn't going to do? He wasn't going to stay in the midst of that, but he was going to encourage himself in the Lord and put his trust in God. And our lives might, might look bleak in moments, but a Christian's perspective is bigger than just a moment, right? And we too should ask ourselves in those moments, what's got you down, soul, <laughs> right? What's got you down? Trust that God has a plan and it's much better than my own, right? Watch, and I would encourage us as people to watch for the it just so happened moments in life, right? It just so happened. Uh, you know, the truth is, is that we find it just so happened moments all the time in life. And sometimes we, you know, we think about it and we just, you know, brush it aside and we think about it as, ah, oh, just something to happen. But here's the truth of the matter. If, if you are a Christian, let me just tell you, it's the providence of God. It's the providence of God in your life. It's just, somebody else might say, it just so happened that this, that this thing happened, right? What a coincidence that that happened. And the world might say that's a coincidence, but let me just tell you, as a Christian and in the church, we call that the providence of God because God is always at work. Is there ever a time that God is slumbering and sleeping? Right? Never, never. And so he's always at work. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's got you down, soul? Trust in God's plan. Trust that God's plan is greater and bigger and better than what I could plan out or what I could hope for. Watch for the it just so happened moments. Because in this book, Ruth goes from saying, I am a foreigner, she says in Ruth 2.10. I am lower than your servants in Ruth 2.13. I am your servant in Ruth 3.9. And then in Ruth 4.13, I am your wife. This is Ruth's journey. Not because Ruth planned it all out and had, had really good planning skills and she, you know, uh, you know that was just her, her spiritual gift or something, right? It wasn't because of that. It was because of God's providence taking her from a Moabitess to, you know, uh, uh, the, the great-grandmother of David, right? Of King David. Now, if only we could see the end before it happens, right? I wonder how often we would not carry bitterness and hurt or anguish or pain or those types of things, which we tend to carry around. I wonder if we could see the end beforehand, like God can, you know, how much of that would we leave behind and be able to release? And so if we remember that God's plan is from generation to generation, and it will prevail, if we remember that, then we could look at life with a different perspective, at the trials of life with a different perspective, and remember that he is at work in all things and at all times, and you know what else? That his plan is what? It's better. It's better than my plan. His plan is a better plan, amen? amen. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you do have a plan that is far superior and far greater than our plans, Lord. 
And so, and even in the midst of our daily walks and our daily life and the things that we uh, plan to do, even in the midst of walking those things out, you are working out your greater plan at all times. And we are so thankful for your providence in our lives, God, that every situation that we walk through, you will take and use it uh, for our good and ultimately to produce the result that you want produced, Lord. We trust you. And, uh, and help us to look at ourselves and say, you know, why so downcast? Put your trust in the Lord. I pray that we would be people who would put our trust in you each and every day, Lord, uh, no matter the situation or circumstance that we face before us, that we see before us, we would still look to you first and foremost and say, put your trust in the hope, soul. Put your trust in the hope uh, and your hope in God. And so we pray that today, we give you glory today. Lord, we ask that you would draw us closer to you, uh, each and every person in here. Lord, whether it's the first time that we felt the draw to you or the thousandth time that we felt the draw to you, Lord, would you draw us to yourselves and begin to make us more like you uh, each and every day this coming week and the weeks to come, Lord. And so, Lord, that's our, our prayer. We want to be more like you God, we want you to transform us in the ways that you want to transform us. And so we look to you today, uh, and we give you honor. We give you glory. Lord, pray that all that we do today would be done for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, thank you so much for uh, being here today and, and joining us. Um, you know, after, um, as this ends, and... It's going to be just a second here. Uh, we, have a, uh, we have a prayer wall over here and uh, teams ready to pray with you for whatever you might be walking through in life. And uh, hopefully it will be not just somebody praying for that, but encouraging you in the Lord. Amen? Because we all need that uh, to walk this Christian life out. And so... Head over here, pray with somebody today. Uh, don't forget to uh, fill out your communication card if there's a prayer request or something uh, that the staff can pray because we'll get together tomorrow morning and if there are prayer requests on these cards, we will pray for those things with you. And, uh, and if you want us to get in touch with you about anything, just let us know. We're here. Uh, we love you guys and we want God's best for you and this church. Amen? Amen. All right, so until next time, and I don't know, it's going to be a little while before I see you again, probably. But until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you abundantly. God bless you. Hey, guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org, or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.